Revelation chapter 18, Lord, and we, we look at the coming fall on Babylon and the world commercial and financial empire, Lord, we know that ultimately you are going to be judging and bringing these things down. Lord, I, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, Lord, even as we study coming judgments, that our own hearts would be stirred and encouraged, Lord, in some way to know that our God is in control, that his word is true, and that my future and my days are in your hands tonight, Lord. We thank you for these things now in Jesus' name. Amen. If you have your cell phones with you tonight, I'm going to ask you to turn them off and silence them. And if you have your Bibles with you, I'm going to ask you to open them up to the book of Revelation, chapter 18. We'll be looking tonight at the fall of Babylon. Now, some would say, well, Pastor, I thought that's what we studied last week, Revelation 17. We, we, we studied the judgment of Babylon. Well, tonight in chapter 18, we have what we believe is most likely another Babylon. And I'll explain in a moment. There's some debate over this. Chapter 17 talks about a, a woman described as a harlot who sits upon the beast. And we, we looked at it last week, and she really representing something of the religious um, system that will be kind of coming together during the reign of Antichrist and the false religious system that would be judged by God. The woman sitting on the beast, she'll be, she'll be kind of over the... The government, but ultimately the government would turn on her and destroy her. We looked at that, and now tonight we're going to look at a continued explanation of, of Babylon coming under judgment. And most, most believe that this is a different Babylon. This would be more of the commercial Babylon. So you have the spiritual, the religious uh, apostasy, but then you also have just the world system, the commercial world system that will also come under judgment. Some, like I said, have debated, and they say, no, this is one and the same, just a different look. But there are, there are some similarities, but there are also some clear differences. Revelation 17, Babylon is you know, pictured as a woman riding on a beast. In Revelation 18, Babylon is called Babylon the Great, pictured as a city, destroyed, a city upon the coast. So some real clear distinctions and differences and we believe even in the way that there are, if you study even the way their destruction comes, there are differences. So I believe rather this is just a kind of a, a, you, have a you have a religious empire, a spiritual empire, you have a commercial, you have a political and governmental type of empire. This is looking more at that commercial, at that commerce empire. And all of these things will be working together in the last days and this one world government will be looking to bring all of these things together, but God ultimately is going to destroy them. They will be, of course, headed up by the, what's referenced as the Antichrist, but God ultimately will be pouring out judgment on all of these entities in the very end. And before we look at Revelation 18, and I want you to hold your place there because we will be looking there shortly, I want to just uh, have you look with me at a couple of other passages I want you to turn with me to James chapter 4, if you would. James, over to your left, a few, just not too many pages from Revelation. James chapter 4. The Bible, especially in the New Testament, often references the world. And that's, it says, you know, don't love the world. And, of course, 
we wonder, well, what, is, what does that mean? We know that God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son. So when, when the Bible is talking about for believers to be kind of separated and not to be loving the world, what, what is being referenced there? Well, we believe that we're talking about the, the secular world's system. I mean, we're here tonight, and we're, most of us, many of us, Christians, have, we share a common faith in Jesus Christ. And we know that there's a difference between the way we think and the way, you know, even what we're doing here tonight and the things that are going on in the world, the secular world, the carnal world, those that are men and women that are just living for their own pleasure, living for their own financial gain and pursuing things that have nothing to do with the kingdom or the things of God. So this is the reference that I believe Babylon, this commercial Babylon, is going to be kind of embodying when we look at Revelation 18. But I want you to see a couple of other passages that just talk about this whole world empire, the the, the secular carnal world that we live in the midst of and that we are ever surrounded by. But we are called to live as lights in the world. But look what James says, starting here in verse 2 of chapter 4. You lust and you do not have, you murder and covet, you cannot obtain, you fight and war, you do not, you, yet you do not have because you do not ask. You ask and you do not receive because you ask amiss that you may spend it on your pleasures. Adulterers and adulteresses, do, not, do you not know that friendship with the world, and there it is, is enmity with God? Whoever therefore wants to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you think that the scripture says in vain, the spirit who dwells in us yearns jealously? But he gives more grace. Therefore, he says, God resists the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Turn with me also to 1 John chapter 2, just a couple of pages to your right. 1 John chapter 2. The Apostle John mentions something about loving the world also there in chapter 2, verse 15. He says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life, is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away and the lust of it. But he who does the will of God abides forever. Amen. Now turn with me back to Revelation chapter 18. There is a spirit of the world. It is in our midst today. This is not something that we have to wait to see rise up during the time of tribulation or the end of the age. The spirit of the world, the the pride of life, the, the, the lust for possessions and material things, those things already exist in the world. And what God in his epistles, what we just looked at James and John, speaking to the church, speaking to believers, they, the, the Lord's word would say, don't, don't get caught up in that. Don't get enticed by the, the, the things of the world and, the, and the, the drive of the world and everything that the world is pursuing. You pursue the Lord. You pursue the things of God because the world and the lust of all the things of the world are passing away. We're going to read tonight the passing away of this uh, world commerce that just so dominates the mind of men and the minds of nations. 
interesting that we are in what many are describing as a global economic crisis. The whole world is concerned about what tonight? Money. <laughs> Money and finances and, and economics and and of course, we, we too, as, even as Christians, we are concerned. We, we need money to live, and, but we look to the Lord as our provider. Men and nations, what are they looking to? Are they looking to God? No, they're looking to themselves, and they're scheming their own ideas and trying to manage and, and, and you know, uh, work with debt, huge amounts of debt, and the whole global system now kind of trying to figure out a way to navigate forward economically. And so we know that there's, a, there's this crisis in place, and is, it, it could be. This could be the forerunner of, of some kind of a global economic system that would somehow appear as an answer to all of the, these crises that, that the nations are reeling from. And believe me, they're looking and they're scrambling and they're thinking and they're planning and, they're, and, and, the, and the world is already kind of connected, aren't they, when... When one nation, you know, even a, a small nation in Europe like Greece, when they go through financial crisis, all of Europe is affected. And when Europe is affected, of course, the United States is affected. And these things have global impact. So we're already kind of in a global economy, whether we like it or not. The world is already trading this way. So what we're seeing here tonight in Revelation 18 is God coming and really destroying that, that final global commerce uh, empire, whatever it may look like. And he, it's demonstrated or it's kind of revealed to us in a destruction of a city. Now, again, there are some debate here, as I, as I said, and much speculation whether this would be a literal city that's going to be destroyed or whether this is just symbolic of a commercial Babylon. I think most likely it will be a a, a world kind of commerce center and program, but it may very well be headquartered in a city. And it may indeed be a literal destruction of a city that is kind of headquartering the world's finances. Some believe that, that Babylon is, that will literally be rebuilt. Now, Babylon is a, is a ruined city in Iraq near the river Euphrates, and some believe that Babylon will be rebuilt and then, and, and of course, uh, King Hussein, uh, what was his name? Saddam Hussein. He, uh, he wanted to uh, rebuild Babylon and, uh, you know, talked about doing that. But as of yet, it hasn't really happened. But who knows? Maybe it will be rebuilt. Maybe it's a very literal rebuilding of Babylon. Or maybe it will be another center, another city. I was recently doing some traveling. I shared this with some of you. My wife and I had an opportunity to we were invited to travel with our parent, my parents, and they took us on a very nice trip, and it began in the city of Dubai. I don't know if you have any, any, know anything about the city of Dubai, but it is basically this incredible city that has been built out really in the middle of the desert. It's, it's on the Persian Gulf. It has a nice coastline, but just you know, with, with all the, the money that has come in to the, that country through oil, they have basically just raised up a whole city. I mean, there are sky you know, high rises all over the city. And it's become just this huge economic capital and also a tourist center. Now, I'm not suggesting that Dubai is, is Babylon in this passage. 
I'm simply using Dubai as an example of the way, you know, cities can, when, when there's money and, and energy, you can, I mean, they've built cities, they've actually made some uh, man-made islands off the coast and built huge hotels and golf courses. And just unbelievable that what, what they've been able to do in this city. It's quite a spectacle. But the point is that even, we, we think of a city like, well, ancient Babylon, well, that's not really going to be rebuilt. How could they? Well, they can. <laughs> And they might. We don't know. There's speculation. Some have speculated that, that America is somehow referenced here in Babylon. Again, I think it's just these are speculative thoughts. We don't really know for sure. I believe as time goes on, maybe some more of it will come into focus. What we do know is that what's represented is this world commerce and this drive for finances and bringing the world economies together. And that God is going to, in really very, uh, very short order, and really just one day, he's going to destroy these, these things. So I believe personally that it may very well be a literal city. And I do believe that it, in that, but it will be more than just the city. It will represent the commerce and, uh, that has raised, raises itself up in these last days. Let's look, verses 1 through 8. We'll just take it one verse at a time here. And let's take a look at the fall of Babylon. Tonight's study, Revelation 18, the fall of Babylon. After these things, I saw another angel coming down from heaven, having great authority, and the earth was illuminated with his glory. So John is seeing a vision. Now he sees another angel. If this is, maybe this is an angel, one of the other seven angels that poured out the bowl judgments, or maybe just an, a total different angel altogether. We're not sure, but John is seeing another judgment that is coming. And he cried mightily with a loud voice, saying, Babylon the great is fallen, is fallen, and has become a dwelling place of demons, a prison for every foul spirit, and a cage for every unclean and hated bird. These birds often represent demonic spirits in Scripture. These, clearly, he's saying demons. This is going to be a city that has become a place of spiritual darkness and great demonic influence. I don't know if you've visited any uh, contemporary cities. Oftentimes, as you go into these cities, you will find that very thing. Spiritual darkness, there's drug use, there's prostitution, there's all kinds of spiritual darkness, demonic activity, even in these large cities that profess to be great, great uh, economic places. Verse 3, for all the nations have drunk of the wine of the wrath of her fornication. The kings of the earth have committed fornication with her. And the merchants of the earth have become rich through the abundance of her luxury. This, this co commercial Babylon is going to influence all nations. They're going to be actually growing rich through the, the abundance and the luxury this whole the fornication they will be there will be sinful and godless ways there will be yet there will seem to be great abundance and luxury and many will be growing rich off of her excess In verse 4 i heard another voice from heaven saying come out of her my people lest you share in her sins and lest you receive of her plagues again the call to god's people during that time come out from her do not get entangled in the things of the world. Very similar to what we just read in James and 1 John. Do not love the world. Do not get caught up in commercial Babylon. Don't, 
Don't fall prey to what everyone in the world is chasing and pursuing. Don't allow these things to dictate your heart. Other passages, we know that we're called to be separate. In 2 Corinthians, you don't need to turn. I'll just quote a couple of spots for you. 2 Corinthians chapter 6. What fellowship has righteousness with lawlessness, light with darkness? You're a temple of the living God. Come out from among them and be separate. You live as you are to live as Christians differently. You're not supposed to look and act like the world. Now we do live in the world and we do have of course to be wise with resources in the world and we we have to pay our bills the same way everybody else in the world does. And of course, you know, God may bless with abundance, God may just provide just enough. We trust God to provide and we know that that money's not the problem, but rather the love of money. And the world seems to be just crazed by it and driven by it and the pursuit of it. And as Christians, we sh- it should not possess us that way. It's okay to have possessions, as they say. Don't let your possessions have you. So as Christians, we're called to be good stewards of the resources that God would provide, but we're not caught up. We're not, at least things don't, don't dominate our heart or our ambition or our thoughts. And so there will be the warning there in Babylon, come out. Don't, don't partake in her sins. Don't get caught up in the same things. Don't be entangled with this materialism. Covetousness, which Paul told the Colossians is likened to idolatry. Anything that would come between you and your first love, which is to be the Lord Jesus Christ. We don't think of idolatry much these days because we don't, you know, we don't have little idols that we bow down to. And, but we do have things that, that threaten the same way that idols do. Anything that your allegiance, your loyalty, your spiritual devotion would be given to besides the Lord. The Lord is to be our first love. Come out from among her, he says in verse 4. Verse 5, for her sins have reached to heaven and God has remembered her iniquities. Render to her just as she rendered to you and repay her double according to her works in the cup which she has mixed, mixed double for her. There is a day when judgment finally comes. Referenced here, her sins have reached to heaven as though they have kind of stacked upon one another and they have finally reached the volume, the level to where they have actually now require the judgment and the response from heaven. There is a passage in the in ancient Babylon, a passage of scripture referencing ancient Babylon, the book of Daniel, where ancient Babylon, just before they were destroyed by the media Persians, they were in a kind of a party banquet. And the leader, uh, they were kind of just, they'd gone in and gotten the articles of things from the that they had captured from the Jews and they were using them to party and banquet with. And all of a sudden a hand came out, out, of the, out in the room and just a hand, a spirit hand began to write upon the wall. And of course it kind of started, some of the, they sobered up, they kind of startled them, oh my God, what is that? Oh, and, and then they wondered, what did that mean? What does it say? And they called Daniel and Daniel came in and said, well, I need to interpret this for you. And he spoke to the king and he said, you... you your kingdom, you and your kingdom, you've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. God is 
kind of evaluated your kingdom, kind of similar to what we're reading here in the, ne- the future Babylon. Your, your sins have kind of stacked up to heaven. You've been weighed in the scales and found wanting. And this very night, Daniel said, your kingdom will be taken from you. And that very night, the Persian, the media Persian empire invaded them and conquered them. There comes a time, you know, sometimes we think judgment will never come because it doesn't really seem to make a difference how people live. It doesn't really seem to catch up with people the way they they behave or even maybe sometimes the way we behave. But there does come a day when God weighs in the scales and when nations are found wanting, judgment comes. This is the type of event that's getting ready to happen here to this commercial Babylon. Her sins have reached the point where judgment is inevitable. Her sins are going to be remembered. I couldn't help but contrast that versus our sins and iniquities that the Bible says he remembers no more. So this nation of Babylon is going to have her sins remembered, but aren't you thankful tonight that in Jesus Christ our sins and our iniquities are remembered no more? Man, I I wouldn't want my sins to be stacked up and come up to heaven. No, the blood of Jesus has washed me clean of my sin. We studied in our men's fellowship here a week last week ago from Monday. We talked about that passage in Colossians where it says the, the list of grievances against us have been wiped away and nailed to the cross. You know, as we look at the judgment and we look at that which is going to come, we also need to be reminded of how gracious God has been to us. Lord, I'm so thankful tonight that I'm not going to be judged for my sins. That all the list of sins that might have added to to, to heaven for me, they've been taken away and nailed to the cross. And as I put my faith in Jesus Christ, my sins, my iniquities are remembered no more. We don't look at Babylon. We don't look at the world and, and think how much better we are. Oh, those sinners, we're so holy and pure and good. We're just sinners that happen to be forgiven and cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. That's our boast, not in us, but in what God has done for us. And God wants to save all men. God, God does, doesn't desire that any would perish. No, we we know that God sent His own Son that whosoever would believe on Him would not perish but have everlasting life. This This is the result of those that have rejected Christ. This is the the result of those that have said, I don't want God, I don't want His mercy, I don't need Him, I want to pursue my own interests, I want to make my own way. And we'll do it our way and we'll do our own kind of pursuits financially and governmentally, and we'll, we'll make our own way. We don't need God. We don't want Him ruling over us. This is a nation, this is a people that have rejected God and His offer of mercy. And as a result, her sins have reached to heaven and God is now remembering them and rendering out the judgment accordingly. Verse 7, In the measure that she glorified herself and lived luxuriously, In the same measure, give her torment and sorrow. For she says in her heart, I sit as a queen, and I am no widow, and will not see sorrow. Therefore her plagues will come in one day, death and mourning and famine, 
and she will be utterly burned with fire, for strong is the Lord God who judges her. In her pride, she glorified herself. In her pride, she imagined that she would sit as a queen, that she would never see sorrow. <clears throat> Again, this is the, the commercial Babylon, uh, maybe manifested in a city that imagines itself to be something special, something impregnable, something that will never lack or want. But God says, because you have been so proud, not only will you be destroyed, but you will be destroyed in one day. Almost as if God is, is saying, you know, with an accent, not only will I judge, but you, you, think you, can't, you think you're immune to judgment. You think you can't be brought down. Not only will you be brought down, but it will, be, it will happen in one day. And we'll find on here later it happens even in one hour. God's judgment will be strong because why? Because the Lord God who judges her is strong. It's a fearful thing to fall into the hands of a living God. God is strong and God is awesome and better to be a recipient of his mercy than to be expecting his judgment. Well, let's read on. We see there the fall of Babylon. Let's look at the response. After she has fallen, we will see that she will be mourned. Verses 9 through 20. Let's just kind of work our way through it. Verse 9. The kings of the earth who committed fornication and lived luxuriously with her will weep and lament for her when they see the smoke of her burning, standing at a distance for fear of her torment, saying, Alas, alas, that great city Babylon, that mighty city, for in one hour... Your judgment has come. The first to mourn her will be the kings of the earth. These will be the rulers of other nations that will see their, their commercial empire manifested in judgment in this one city. Kind of reads to me, almost kind of indicates something of a, a possibly a, a nuclear holocaust. Doesn't it look like that? They will see the smoke of her burning. They'll stand at a distance for fear of her torment. I wonder if that would be a, a radioactive cloud that would somehow be over a city. And even though they would, they would be mourning her loss, they, they dare not go into the city to do anything because it will be dangerous even for those to go in and rescue. We don't know that. I'm just, just throwing that out as a speculation. It, it certainly kind of reads like that. But the kings of the earth will mourn her. Not only the kings of the earth, but the merchants of the earth. Look at verse 11. And the merchants of the earth will weep and mourn over her, for no one buys their merchandise anymore. Can you imagine a whole city being destroyed, and the only reason you're crying is because you haven't got any more customers? <laughs> uh, verse 12, merchandise of gold and silver, precious stones and pearls, fine linen and purple, silk and scarlet, every kind of citron wood, every kind of object of ivory, every kind of object of most precious wood, bronze, iron, and marble, and cinnamon and incense, fragrant oil and frankincense, wine and oil, fine flour and wheat, cattle and sheep, horses and chariots, and bodies and souls of men. This is going to be a very wealthy city. This is not going to be some small event. This is a well-stocked, well-provided. You can see why she sits as a queen and says, we'll, we'll never lack of anything. We are so well-positioned. We are so well-stocked. We are rich. We, are, you know, we live in luxury. The Bible talks about the deceitfulness of riches. What is the deceitfulness of riches? 
How do riches deceive? We, we imagine that they would last forever. And we imagine that if we have them, we're secure. Huh. Something about having money in your pocket just makes you feel better. Right? I mean, you know, you're, sometimes our mood goes up and down based on what's in our bank account, right? Or our, somehow our security is tied to, you know, material things. And if, if, if funds are low, we're, we're nervous, we're anxious. If we've got, you know, if we're sitting pretty good, we, we walk a little taller, you know. There's just, that's a deceitfulness of riches. Do, do, let me ask you, does money really make you really better or, or stronger or more eternal or, or, you know, will you live longer? Will you, you know, I mean, there are some health things, I suppose, that you could, you could manage with money. But ultimately, you're a sinner and you're going to go to the grave and you're going to need Jesus. No, this is the deceitfulness of riches. And many have, of course, fallen into great misery in their pursuit. Well, not only the merchants of the earth, but the shipmasters also. Look at verse Oh, I'm sorry, I need to pick up with uh, verse 14. Uh, the fruit that your soul longed for has gone from you, and all the things which are rich and splendid have gone from you, and you shall find them no more at all. The merchants of these things who became rich by her will stand at a distance for fear of her torment, weeping and wailing, and saying, Alas, alas, that great city that was clothed in fine linen, purple and scarlet, and adorned with gold and precious stones and pearls. So she will be rich, but she will be fallen. And again, that, that the merchants standing at a distance for fear of her torment. I wonder what that could mean, but it does seem to indicate a possible, you know, some kind of a radioactive destruction. But everything that you longed for, everything that you took pride in, it is all gone from you now. The merchants will be mourning her, the shipmasters as well. Now I continue in verse 17. For in one hour such great riches came to nothing. Every shipmaster, all who travel by ship, sailors, and as many as trade on the sea. Again, we see that standing at a distance. And cried out when they saw the smoke of her burning, saying, what is like this great city? They threw dust on their heads. That's a symbol of just emotional exasperation. And cried out, weeping and wailing, saying, Alas, alas, that great city in which all who had ships on the sea became rich by her wealth. For in one hour she is made desolate. The shipmasters will also mourn her loss. Many read this passage and they think, well, that's why it may very well be a literal city, but it may not be Babylon because Babylon is not really a, a coastal city. It may be a city representing Babylon's spirit, but really a city along the coast because it will be a, the ship and, and harbor uh, trade will be destroyed with her as well. But look at verse 20. Rejoice over her, O heaven, and you holy apostles and prophets, for God has avenged you on her. The earth and those who were aligned with her will be mourning, but those, the saints of God and those in heaven, will be rejoicing. This is why the Scriptures tell us don't love the world or the things of the world. This is why John said in 1 John, because the world is passing away. 
Why would you devote your loyalty and your your heart's love and, and passion for something that is temporal? Why not invest your heart's devotion in things that are eternal, the love of God, the things of God? Jesus said, don't store up treasure on earth where thief come in and steal and moth and rust destroy. Store up for yourselves treasure in heaven where, where those things are eternal and they're never threatened. Heaven will be rejoicing because this will be the end of the, the, the world's system and the beginning of God bringing in his system and kingdom. So there will be a rejoicing by the saints of God. They will be avenged by this, this system of the world. And, and the last section here, and we'll look here tonight and close, is really just the finality of this judgment. We see the fall of Babylon, we see the mourning of her, and now just the, just the utter destruction, the finality of Babylon's fall. Verse 21, Then a mighty angel took up a stone like a great millstone and threw it into the sea, saying, Thus with violence and the great city Babylon shall be thrown down and shall not be found any more. God wanting John to get the imagery here. As, as a, you know what a millstone, a millstone is those things they use to grind flour, big, heavy, you know, thousand plus pound stones. And like the angel casts it into the sea. And you imagine a stone, how quickly it would sink to the bottom, a stone that size. And that's the image here. This city will be rooted up and destroyed in just a moment and with great violence. Verse 22, the sound of harpists, musicians, flutists, and trumpeters shall not be heard in you anymore. No craftsman of any craft shall be found in you anymore. And the sound of a millstone shall not be heard in you anymore. The light of a lamp shall not shine in you anymore. And the voice of bridegroom and bride shall not be heard in you anymore. For your merchants were the great men of the earth. For by your sorcery all the nations were deceived. And in her was found the blood of prophets and saints and of all who were slain on the earth. When God judges this city, when God judges this system, it's not going to be rebuilt. It's not going to recover. It's not going to come back. These things, even the normal things of life, music, craftsmen, millstones, factories, working, light, electricity, Marriage, people getting married, uh, these things will be gone. This city will be made desolate. And he, and he says there that in her was found even the blood of prophets and saints. You see, this, this world system is what persecutes the church, and even in the time of tribulation, greatly persecutes Christians and the saints that come to faith. They will become martyrs, and many Christians in the time of tribulation. And it will be the world system, Antichrist and his program, that will be martyring them. But notice that, that it ends with that, that almost as if this is why, this is part of why these things have happened to you. Because in you was found the blood of prophets and, and saints and all who were slain on the earth. God, God keeps track of spilt blood. You remember Cain rose up and slew his brother Abel. And the Bible talks about that innocent blood of Abel crying out from the land. Again, this is, I, th I think this is the idea that over the 
course of time, the sins and, and, the, and the innocent blood that is spilt in a land, in, a, in the earth, begins to rise up and ultimately brings the inevitable dealing and judgment of God. He must intervene. The scales have, been, are, have just tipped too far. As I studied that here, just getting ready, I couldn't help but think about the abortions that are taking place every day, not only in our nation, but across the world. I'm thinking about the blood of those innocent babies that are being murdered for the sake of convenience, for the sake of family planning, oftentimes for the sake of financial reasons. And I just wonder, Lord, how much of that blood has been spilt and how much more is to be spilt before enough is enough. And God begins to pour out judgment. Only God knows these things. But it is a tragedy in the land. And we're living in perilous times. These things are about us, church. These things are going on in the world. And as Christians, we, we must come out and not be a part of her. Be separate. Don't get caught up in the sorceries of the world. Don't get caught up in the delicacies of the world. Maintain your, your integrity before the Lord and your faith and your walk with Him. Don't be caught up in the deceitfulness of riches. Jesus talked about seed that would be sown out. It was a parable. I'm going to close here tonight. He talked about a parable where seed was sown and it fell amongst different types of, of soil. You may remember the, the story. Some of it fell upon the roadside. Some of it fell in the rocky soil. Some of it in the thorny soil and some of it in the good soil. And then he gave an interpretation of what you know those seeds represented and, and, and the plants that grew up as a result. And speaking of those seeds that had fallen amongst the thorns, they grew up, but then the thorns choked them out amongst the weeds, if you will, and they choked out the fruitfulness. And Jesus went on to interpret that, and he said, the thorns are the cares of this world, the deceitfulness of riches, and the desires for other things. Entering in, they choke the word, which is the seed that's planted, and it becomes unfruitful. We live in a, in a very, very commercial commerce-driven society. We live in a, in a very materialistic culture. I think we have to be careful. I, I, I know in my own heart, I have to be careful. I mean, some of these commercials, some of the, you know, the bombardment of media, whether I need something or not, I sure begin to believe that I need it. And then I believe that I just have to have it. And I don't know how I can live without it. Right? Reminds me of just, you know, there, there were times when raising our children, you know, they would, they would go through different phases where they would just have to have something, you know. And they just could hardly live, you know. Oh, it's just, just tormented unless, you know, they had it. And they just had to have it. So it's in the heart of man. Listen, that, 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 that is in us. And so we have to allow the Holy Spirit to transform us. And so easily we could be caught up and swept away by 
by the the things of the commercial world and unfortunately I think sometimes even the church gets caught up in the glitter caught up in the pursuit of things and commerce God protect our hearts Lord help us to remain separate from those things to be wise and to use those things that God would provide and not to be feeling guilty about having nice things or enjoying provision that God would provide, but be a good steward of those things. Recognize that the things of the world are passing away and use whatever resource God would bring to further his kingdom. Ways to bless others, ways to be faithful to your family and provide for them in a godly way. But don't neglect spiritual things. Don't let those things choke out the fruitfulness that God wants to bear in our lives. Babylon, the great, will be destroyed in one day. Although she sits as a queen, imagining that she will be eternal, her judgment will fall very quickly and very suddenly. And I pray that, uh, I pray we'll be raptured out by then. But I think that we have our challenge, you know, Babylon, the great, is in our day too, isn't it? We have our own uh, walk that we need to uh, be mindful of tonight. Let's pray. Lord, we do thank you for this, your word, which gives us a picture of judgments to come upon a world and its system, upon a world that is godless and in pursuit of material things and wants nothing to do with God, with Jesus, with eternal things. And it's as if, Lord, there's coming a day when you will give her her fill. She wanted nothing to do with you, and when it's time to bring in your kingdom, she will have nothing to do with you. And she will be destroyed in her own sinfulness. And Lord, I I do pray that we would put these things in our heart. Lots of speculation, God. Lots of uh, different views on what this, who this city may be, who does it represent. And Lord, I, I pray that you would protect us not to become over-speculative, trying to pin the tail on Babylon tonight. We need to be mindful of these things, Lord. And, and God, as things unfold, I believe that you will reveal and you will show. But you've given us enough here to understand at least the spirit of Babylon and what it is that you will be ultimately coming against. And we can see it already forming in our day, Lord. That's the, that's the amazing thing. We can see right now this, this Babylon beginning to gather. And it, it causes us to know that our redemption must be nigh. But not only that, Lord, there is the call for those that know you to come out from her. So I pray tonight, Lord, that we would just kind of take inventory of our own spiritual lives and, Lord, how we're living. Our, what are we pursuing with all our hearts? What's our passion? Lord, what's our, what's our, where do our thoughts run and think on mostly, God? Are we thinking of you? Are we mindful of your word? Are we thinking of spiritual things? Paul, Paul told the Colossians that having been raised with Christ, then keep seeking those things above where Christ is. Set your mind not on worldly things, but on heavenly things. Begin to have an eternal mind. So, Lord, I pray tonight that we would be challenged, but also encouraged. Encouraged to know that my sins and my iniquities, you will remember no more.
Lord, all this talk of judgment, almost kind of gloomy, Lord, almost kind of overwhelming, but I pray tonight, Lord, that it wouldn't leave us with a sense of darkness, but rather it would accent the light of the gospel. That as we look and see the judgments to come, we would be so thankful and grateful to be forgiven and to be cleansed of all sin. And Lord, even as we close tonight, I I want to give an invitation to hearts that may need to respond to you here tonight. And as our heads remain bowed, church, just continue to pray. I want to speak to those here tonight that you may need to come to the Lord. You heard me say tonight that God loves you and God doesn't want to judge or pour out his wrath on anyone. But rather, He sent His Son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross that you might be forgiven. That your sins and iniquities He would remember no more. That He would clean the slate. That He would take all that list and nail it to the cross. And you could stand before Him holy and righteous and forgiven tonight. But those things are available only through faith in Jesus Christ and inviting Him into relationship. So maybe you're here tonight and you need to do that for the first time. I'd love to pray for you. Maybe you're here tonight and you need to rededicate your life to the Lord. You need to come back to Him. You're living in a wayward place. Maybe you are caught up in the world tonight. Maybe you know the Lord or you at one time knew Him or walked with Him, but you're just, you've been so caught up in the world and the things of the world. Not just money, but all of the drama, and some, whether it be drug abuse or fornication, immorality. You've just been chasing the things of the world. You were enamored by them and now you find yourself just like the prodigal son, just, you know, in the, in the, in the mud of it. And you want to come home tonight and you want to come back to the Lord and be cleansed and be restored and have your life refreshed. I want to pray for you tonight as well. So if you're here tonight, I'm going to ask you to respond. You want to come to the Lord and invite the Lord into your life for the first time? Or you want to come home, come rededicate yourself to the Lord? Would you raise your hand tonight so I can see where you are and I will pray for you? Anybody here tonight? I bless you upstairs. Lord bless you. Anyone else here tonight? Come to the Lord or rededicate your life to the Lord. I'm so grateful for this one heart that has responded. The Bible says that all of heaven rejoices when even one sinner comes to repentance. So we rejoice with heaven tonight in this one heart that's responded. I'm going to pray. Anyone else? My, my, I just sense there may be someone else that needs to respond tonight. just want to give you a moment. Lord, I do thank you for this heart that has responded to you tonight, and I pray that you would meet them here in this place, that they would acknowledge you tonight as Savior, Lord Jesus, having died on the cross for their sins, and that they would receive the forgiveness that you have for them tonight, that they would know for sure that your sin, that their sins and their iniquities you remember no more. You've cleansed them. You've given them a fresh start. And not only that, but you've given them the righteousness of Jesus Christ. They stand before you tonight completely righteous in Jesus. 
Refresh them, Lord. Fill them with your Holy Spirit. Strengthen their heart tonight, Lord, that this would be the beginning of a new and wonderful fellowship and relationship with you. And Lord, for all of us, help us to be sober-minded, Lord, in these, these times in which we live. To be watchful, to be alert, to be diligent. That's the word, Lord, as we consider these judgments. We, we ourselves know that they are looming and very near. And Lord, we want to consider how you would have us to live in these days. We thank you for these things tonight, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless you. Would you 